It was kind of like Ma and Pa Kettle have come to visit. They looked at Gary like he was nuts. They were like, well, how many ultras have you run? And he's like, oh, I haven't run any. This is my <laughs> first one. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Caroline Ballard. Special thanks to some of our recent supporters, listeners Christian Hennemeyer from Bethesda, Maryland, and Barb Smith from Chesterfield, Virginia. In this episode, my colleague Melody Edwards shares the story of a man whose doctor said he'd never walk again. So he started to run. Gary Havener lives off the grid on a farm he built in a high, lonesome valley in southeast Wyoming. I broke my back three times. They told me I couldn't walk ten years ago. They told me I won't be a carpenter. And I got pretty depressed. (laughs) How did you break your back? Falling off a horse. (laughs) Once. Falling off a house another time. I didn't fall off the horse, though. It was a very uncoordinated dismount. But it was hard for Gary to accept the idea of being disabled the rest of his life. People told me I couldn't do it, and that's really not a good idea with some people. Some people don't take you can't do that very good. Time passed, and Gary struggled with depression and relearning how to walk. One day, when he'd finally healed up enough to get around the house, he was reading the New York Times... And an article caught his eye. In the sports page, I think it was, they had um, a big picture of a creek bottom, and it said he went running and never came back. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. The article was about Micah True, a.k.a. Caballo Blanco, to the Tarahumara Indians of Mexico. True was an ultramarathon runner from Boulder, Colorado, who organized a race in 2003 to help preserve the running culture of the tribe. Later, True and the race became famous in the best-selling book, Born to Run. Gary read that, too, and it sparked something in him. So I started running and ran a little bit, ran a mile, okay, ran two miles, okay. My body got stronger, and also mentally, I I think, I said, okay, I can do this. And uh, I just started thinking, hey, you know, I'm, I'm running. But I'd run off here, and I, I live in a beautiful place, so i just take off and go. And Celeste would say, toodles, and I'd leave. And, and then I started carrying water, and I started carrying food and water, and extra shirt. And I love this mountain. I mean, it's 17 miles from here to the other end and back. And I've got a notch on a tree up there that every time I get there, I... Nobody's up there except the animals and me. Gary has always been an active guy. He ran track in high school a little bit. He built his log house with no power tools except a chainsaw. And as an adult, he actually did another kind of running. I've hunted elk here ever since I've lived here, which is like 40 years. And I always run after elk. And I shoot elk. So I never really thought about it. And so how, when, you, when you chase an elk, <laughs> how, how long does one have to chase an elk to be able to kind of catch it? You don't catch it, you just get close enough to shoot it. Probably the worst part 
was there was this cougar, that he and the cougar were kind of braiding paths down Fox Creek Road. That's Gary's wife, Celeste. And I saw ravens standing on the road looking down there, and I said, oh, there must be something dead there, you know. So you know how cats will kind of cradle a mouse and kind of look at you like mine? Well, he was doing the same thing. He's just a big cat, and he was like 20 feet away, and he wasn't going to leave that deer. So I just told the dog, we got to let him do his thing and work. So I ran backwards for 50 feet or so and made sure he didn't, but he wasn't going to leave that deer. Mountain lions, terrible weather, physical pain, none of it deterred Gary from his new passion for running. It was almost a prayer answered. In the winter when it's dark, sometimes he has a little trouble with depression. And the running seemed to be the perfect counter to that depression. He was outside, he was moving. It was good. It was just good. I prayed for my son and his soberness. I prayed for my wife. And prayed for people, all sorts of people, and uh, earth. So you, when you're running, you're, you're kind of praying as you run? Sometimes. Singing's good. You sing, you sing and run, too? Kind of. Hum, sing. When you're breathing, I mean, you can make tonal inflections. And if you're happy, you can run a long ways. There's a saying down there, the Taramara say, if you run with the earth, you can run forever. Gary started to dream of running with the Tarahumara, like Micah True had. And I said, wow, this guy's going down there to a place where it is pretty dangerous. And they got to run. It's like you're almost invited. So I said, this is an opportunity. So the Havener started saving their money. We have many wonderful things. Money is not one of them. And so the first thing I did is I started a little blog. And I told people, I said, hey, he's turning 60. Um, instead of getting us goofy 60-year-old presents, if you could kick in a little money towards us. And I was just floored by how many people gave us gifts of money to get there. She accumulated some funds, and we saved our money and uh, flew to Chihuahua, got on El Chepe, got on a bus, and ended up in the bottom of the canyon. But not just any canyon, Copper Canyon, one of the biggest canyons in the world, way bigger than even the Grand Canyon. It's a pleasure to look at, but hell to travel. Because you look at something, you say it's right over there, and there's like 14 mountains in between you and there. That's why people don't have vehicles or even horses. I mean, a guy walking or running can beat a horse up there all over the place. And that's what the Tarhumara tribe does, run as transportation. And when you watch some old guy that's like your age run along with a big grin on his face after 37 miles, and this guy's and the aprons that they wear, and shoes that he made out of a tire, and he's kicking your butt. They got something going there. To see him come down the road is like watching a flock of butterflies. Beautiful. That first year, both Gary and Celeste fell in love with the Tarhumara community. As for the other ultramarathoners from around the world... I thought, God, I am so out of place here. Um, and I think, initially, they thought we were out of place. It was kind of like Ma and Pa Kettle have come to visit. They looked at Gary like he was nuts. They were like, well, how many ultras have you run? And he's like, oh, I haven't run any. This is my <laughs> first one. And they're like, you came to the bottom of the Copper Canyon to run your first marathon? And... 
After a while, they kind of took him in like that crazy uncle you have at Thanksgiving. Celeste got involved, too. She folded hundreds of origami horses to give out at the children's race, and she helped out with the adult race, passing out electrolytes and water at aid stations. But she was nervous. Three broken backs, his first ultra at the age of 60. She couldn't believe it when she finally saw him running toward her at the finish line. I ran in there. I was grinning, I guess, everybody. And I sat down and... um, His eyes rolled back and he passed out. This buddy of mine who has become like my brother just took me and literally threw me over his shoulder. And as soon as my head got lower than my butt, I came to and I was crowd surfing in Eureka towards the clinic. And I said, what's going on? And they said, oh, he's back. And they let me down. I went over and had a Coca-Cola and a taco. Everything was good. Gary was hooked. When he got home, he kept running the mountain in his backyard so he could run the Caballo Blanco again. He and Celeste saved up some more money and went back to Mexico two years later. But this time, things weren't so good. And it wasn't his health that was the problem. El Chapo, the leader of the Sinaloa drug cartel, had been recently captured and imprisoned. They had a civil war between the Sinaloa cartel and the uh, Chihuahua. Um, They killed several policemen. And... uh, It got kind of nasty. Gary and Celeste left their farm, traveled all the way to Mexico, only to find Copper Canyon in chaos. One cartel stole an ambulance, and they filled it full of guys with guns and came driving down the road, and me and Celeste were on the road, and they put on the siren, and we stepped off the road, and they all waved at us with their guns in the other hand, and it was just like, oh, those guys had guns in the ambulance. (laughs) And they went into town, and killed a couple of cops. Organizers canceled that year's race. And the year after that, El Chapo escaped his prison cell through an elaborate tunnel. He's a weaselly little guy, I guess. So um, so we just didn't go. It was not exactly the best time. It's a peaceful run. We said, you know, if you're going to be like that, we're not going to run. That was last year. Now El Chapo has been extradited to a high-security prison in the U.S. So this year, the race was on. So Gary and Celeste booked their flights. Then out on a run, Gary threw out his shoulder. I lost focus with two elk, like running right. I could have thrown a rock at them. And I watched them go across my plane of sight and turn my head just enough that I was running through the woods anyway. And I just went, crunch. Well, I knew something was really weird because when your clavicle's up by your ear, it's like, You feel like you can go and run a 50-mile race, even though that is not quite right still. Sure. And so the Haveners headed off on their third Caballo Blanco. We were in a blizzard when we left home. We sledded all of our things out a quarter mile to the car because we can't drive to our house. We left at zero, and we got there at 90. Tucked in their gear were a 1,000 origami horses for the children runners, Gary says seeing all the other Mas Locos, as the ultramarathoners are known, is a family reunion of sorts. Celeste says this year the war between the cartels cooled off mostly. The townspeople weren't anxious and looking around. Um, it was very peaceful. The little kids were out playing soccer on the streets and following you around. The morning of the race, she taped down her husband's dislocated shoulder and sent him off to run. 
The first 20 miles was a blast. We go up to Guadalupe, Colorado, and you circle around this church that was built in 1700s and uh, grab an orange and some panoli and head back down the hill and you're running along the river. A lot of people had heat troubles. I mean, the Red Cross would bring the ambulances down and they'd have like a half a dozen people in there uh, and locals. Aid stations, I'll grab an extra bottle of water and electrolytes and I find people almost delirious and passed out on the trail. I just give them water. And maybe it's because Gary spent more time taking care of the other runners that he didn't actually end up finishing the race. Ten minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes went by, and I thought, okay, should I be anxious? I uh, had to make a call coming into town the the second time. Um, There was another eight-mile leg that went up to Guadalupe, and it's uphill, and uh, the heat had kind of kicked my butt. And I said, you know, I've done this before, and I don't need a T-shirt. He might not have finished the Caballo Blanco this time, but Gary didn't come home empty-handed. I got, actually, they gave me a medal. The best kisser. (laughs) Why did you get, how did you get that title? The people all said, oh, your spouse is coming, he's coming. And um, he got there, and I was so excited that I gave him a big kiss. Down there, people don't kiss in public. And they thought it was pretty risque. But when Gary explains why he didn't end up running those last eight miles, he doesn't even mention his injured shoulder. How do you, you know? How do you deal with that kind of the pain and the, the suffering? Think, of you it? don't think about it. You think about the fact that your kids been sober for three years. You think about your wife, and you think about looking around. I mean, you open your eyes up and not just look at the road. It's beautiful. We're pretty lucky to live in this planet, you know? It's, and these legs and these eyes all put together, we're a pretty amazing animal. Gary's still running the mountain behind his farm every day. But the farm might keep him from running next year's Caballo Blanco race. It's difficult to keep animals alive when it's really cold and windy and they need water. And I worry about my old dog, you know? He doesn't eat if I'm home, not home. But even if he doesn't run the race next year, Gary has no plans to take a break. Well, I'm going to go run tomorrow. I, I enjoy it. I can escape the news and when I'm running. There's nobody else out there where I run. There's no trails, no, no signs, no nothing. And uh, I see the critters and I see the world. And I can do that and be in a place that's real. Like the Tarahumara say, if you run with the earth, you can run forever. That's Gary and Celeste Havener. Melody Edwards brought us their story. And you can see photos of Gary and Celeste and Copper Canyon at our website. We also have a tasty recipe for panole energy bars like the runners eat, courtesy of One Ingredient Chef. It's all at humannaturepodcast.org. I'm Caroline Ballard. Our producers are Aaron Jones, Anna Rader, and Micah Schweitzer. The theme song is by Caught a Ghost. 
Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. Next time, we'll meet a man who distracted himself from suicidal thoughts by visiting all the national parks, until one mountain made him think about life and death in a whole new way. Listen for that story on May 31st. It's human nature.